If you can go to the, the, the slide that's, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that though. You can go to the slide that says vision. So, so going through the review, again, this is uh, our vision, purpose, and key values uh, statement. This is something that we're looking to kind of ratify as a church. The reason we're doing this is we want to have a document that gives us direction as to who we are, what we're going to be doing. We want to be able to, as we get ideas of what should we be doing as a church, uh, what kind of ministries are we to be having, what kind of activities are we going to be participating in, uh, who we want as a pastor, that we have an idea of what our criteria is. For instance, do we want to go into selling bananas? I'm making something up. I don't think we want to sell bananas. But let's say we want to open up a banana stand for the church. We want to say, does this fit our vision? Does this fit our key values as a church? Okay. Let me see if I can remember how to use this. I'm going to see if this works a second. Oh, you got to plug it in. Okay. It won't work because it's not plugged in. Um, So does this fit our key values? Does this fit our vision? Does selling bananas further what we think God wants us to be as a church? Or is this something that's just going to make us busy and not accomplish what God wants us to accomplish? And so we want to put this document in place. We're, we're doing this in the Sunday school because this is the church's vision statement. This is not Sean's vision statement. This is not Pastor Jim's vision statement. This is not the deacon's vision statement. We want this to be the church's vision statement. So we're going through this with you so that you're aware of what it says. Uh, so that you can make changes, ask questions, add things, subtract things, uh, say that's not who I think we should be as a church, this is exactly who I think we should be as a church, uh, whatever, and uh, go from there. And then next week, uh, Lord willing, we're going to make a decision on, is this what we want Northridge Baptist Church to be going forward? Uh, to remind you, this is the third draft. Um, it's going to technically be the fourth draft because we made one change so far on it uh, at Pastor Jim's request. Um, so, and a good change. I agree with the change. So that's not, but Pastor Jim brought it up, so that was good. Uh, so if there's any other changes, that will go into the fourth draft, and then uh, we will either ratify it or throw it out and do whatever. Okay. Anyway, so let's go through a quick review. And by a quick review, I mean a very quick review. Again, we're not going to cover very much of this very in detail because we've done this before already in the last few weeks. So our vision, our vision is to glorify God and to exalt Jesus Christ by making disciples and by equipping believers. Let me see if they can make this work. Yay! Make disciples. See that Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We make disciples. That's the main command in the passage. To make disciples, to make followers, to make learners. By going, by proclaiming the message of salvation, both in our worship services and as individuals. By baptizing, by identifying new believers with his death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And by integrating them into the church body. And by teaching, by instructing believers in God's truth, by accurate, exegetical, and thorough teaching of the Bible. Also, by equipping the saints, Ephesians 4, 11-13. By having a church that has a pastor leading where pastors are leading the church by training believers, having the church serving, believers ministering to others under the Holy Spirit's leading and pastor's guidance. It's not the pastor doing the ministry, it's the believers doing the work of the ministry. That's the goal. 
were to be working, not just the pastor, by the people growing, believers moving towards Christ's likeness in their personal lives and as a church body. So that's our vision, to glorify God, to exalt Jesus Christ in making disciples and equipping believers, equipping saints. Our mission, our ministry aspects of Northridge Baptist Church, four, four aspects that we're teaching. We focus on the study of God's word with the emphasis on who God is, what God has done, is doing, and will do for us, and what God wants us to do. So we're looking at the Word of God and, and, and figuring out who God is, what He's done, is doing, and will do, and what God wants us to do. Worshiping. Focus on recognizing God as sovereign and worthy of honor and praise. We want to have a focus on, on God, on Jesus Christ. Fellowshipping. And not the fellowshipping like we talk about, we're having a fellowship afterwards, we're going to eat, but a fellowshipping as in sharing with one another, um, in, in biblical fellowship, in developing one another, growing one another, serving one another, uh, meeting each other's needs, both physically and spiritually. Uh, so focusing on building up and encouraging other believers. And then evangelizing, proclaiming the salvation message to unbelievers. And North Baptist Church will seek to invest time, effort, energy, and resources into activities which work toward or fulfill these goals. Our purpose is to be strategic in effectively utilizing our resources to best accomplish what we believe God wants us to accomplish as directed by scriptures. Basically, if I can paraphrase this, we want to do what God wants us to do and not do what God doesn't want us to do. We, uh, our, our goal is not necessarily to be busy. But the things that we're going to be busy doing are things that we think that God wants us to be busy doing. So we're not going to try to fill our schedule up with activities that the church is constantly doing stuff, but if the church is doing something, we think it's important enough that that's what God wants us to be doing. Does that make sense? So if we're saying we're going to do something on Thursday nights, have a men get together for prayer, we're getting together on Thursday nights because we think that's an important thing that God wants us to do. That's why we're asking you to give up your Thursday night once a month to come pray. Because we think that's high on God's agenda for the church. If we're meeting together on Saturday to work on the building, we think that's a high enough priority on God's agenda to take care of the building that God's given us. If we're not going to an iCubs game on a Sunday, it's because we think that that's probably not high on God's agenda that the church go to an iCubs game on Sunday. Does that make sense? Even though it might be fun, even though we might get to hang out together, even though, yeah, we might get to know each other a little bit better, but there's better ways to serve God and, and use the time God's given us in that. That's, that kind of makes sense? Okay. So, last week we started talking about key values. Um, I, I gave you a lot more details on the notes. You'll see the slide is going to be very sparse. Key values, the beliefs of North Sebastian's Church were fundamental. Fundamental. We describe to and boldly defend the basic truths of Christianity. You see a list of five of them. There's more to fundamentals than those five, but those were the five we talked about last week. Uh, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, the blood atonement, bodily resurrection, the literal bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oops, did I move the slide? Did I move? Oh, I didn't move it. Good. Okay. We're evangelical. We believe, I, we believe in salvation by faith or belief alone in Christ's death and resurrection. We believe that the primary purpose of the church is to share the gospel 
We believe each believer is responsible to share the gospel with those they interact with as God gives opportunity. We believe that supporting missions is an important task of the local church. Um, again, our next uh, deacon meeting, Pastor Jim and I just talked a little bit ago. Um, we're going to put forth a plan, Lord willing, as to this is what we're going to do, and then we're going to bring it to you and say this is what we're going to do for missions. And I think we're just we're, we're getting ready to do that. So next couple of weeks we should have something together and we're going to get to that point, Lord willing. Dispensational. Dispensational. We understand that God has revealed himself and his expectations to mankind in different ways at different times. I think that's, if you really look at scripture, you see that. Uh, what God revealed concerning himself and what he expected of mankind was different for Adam and Eve, which was different even before and after the fall, for Noah, for the patriarchs, for Moses and the Israelites, for the church, and it will be different in the millennial kingdom. Though God works in different ways at different times, salvation has only and always been by grace through belief in the promise of God, ultimately based on the redemptive work of Jesus' substitutionary, substitutionary death and resurrection. And then the two main tenets of dispensationalism are the literal, literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation, that the Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. It's not allegorical. And this includes a literal interpretation of creation, which is foundational to accurate interpretation of the entire word of God, and that Israel and the church are separate and distinct. What God promised directly to Israel may not be spiritualized to make it into a promise which fits the church. And God will keep his promises to the nation of Israel. So that's, that's where we got to last week, those three things. And I think, I think those three things are pretty clear and pretty standard uh, for most Baptist churches. And so if you've been around Baptists or even, even conservative churches, most of them are that way. Probably not very controversial. Um, this morning, the next four, uh, you, you might disagree maybe a little bit with them. We'll see. Um, if you've been around Northridge for a while, they, they'll probably make sense as we go through them. Uh, but we'll talk about them here. So number four on the list. Cessationist. What do you mean by cessationist? Letter A here. We believe that sign gifts, such as prophecy, speaking in tongues, words of knowledge, healings, have ceased. That means you come up here and you have a physical problem, I'm not going to lay my hands on you and heal you this morning. Because I don't think I have the ability to do that. I don't think God's gifted me to do that. Because I think that's done. I'm not going to stand up here and start speaking in a foreign language. Because I haven't taken the time to study one and God's not going to give me a miraculous power to do that because I believe that's done. And I'm not going to speak in some gibberish because I don't think that's what tongues was originally anyway. Um, but I don't think God's given that power to people. The sign gifts have ceased. Um, I'm not going to go into a full proof of this, but I'm going to show you quickly a passage I think shows this. Uh, you see on your notes, and I, I've highlighted some things on your notes, so it's probably easier to see the notes, but I have it on the screen too. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 through 10. If you look at this, in verse 8 it says, Love never fails. That's cool, right? Love never fails. I like that. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, 
then that which is in part will be done away. Now you notice I highlighted some things. Uh, what, what, what's in bold on your sheet? Can you see that? Interact with me. What's in bold? Okay, I hear a couple of people talking, not very loud. I hear Matt because he's in the front row. He said tongues. What else? Prophecy. Prophecy. Tongues. What else? Knowledge. Knowledge. What else? Perfect. Perfect. And what else? Part. Okay. So, I think these things are all related. What are prophecies, tongues, and knowledge? They're gifts. What kind of gifts? They're sign gifts. They're revelatory gifts. What's a prophecy? Prophecy is God telling you something that you're going to tell other people, right? It's God giving you words to speak. What are tongues? Tongues is God giving you a language to speak. It's, it's, prophecy is like, like a, a message, right? Tongues is the actual words. Knowledge is God giving you thoughts. So this is all revelatory type gifts. This isn't like the gifts of mercy where it's, it's, it's you know, being nice to someone. This isn't like the gift of hospitality where it's like opening up your home. These, these are revelatory type gifts, right? This is stuff where God's giving you some kind of knowledge that is outside the realm of you studying or, or learning how to do something. And Paul's saying that, and you look at the underlying, what is it talking about with these underlying words? What are these words about that are underlined? They're going to what? They're going to stop in some form, right? So, you have all these three things. These are all revelatory gifts, and they're all going to stop. So, in contrast, the but, if you see the but in verse 10, but that which is what? Perfect. So, if it's a contrast, and these are all revelatory gifts, what does the perfect thing have to be? It has to be revelatory, right? So what's the perfect thing that's come that's revelatory, that, that brings, that's a, a knowledge thing from God? Who said that? Who said that? Oh, there you go. If I had my candy bars up here, I'd be throwing one up to you, because that, that's the perfect answer. The completed word of God, that's what's perfect. That's what's complete, right? That's the complete revelation of God. So, so the, 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 the partial revelatory things, those things that are in part, and you look at the end, those things which are in part, when you get to prophecy, you're not getting the full revelation of God. You're getting a part of the prophecy. When you're getting a tongue and somebody interprets it, you're getting partial revelation from God. When you're getting knowledge, you're not getting the whole mind of God. You're getting partial knowledge from God. But the thing that's perfect, that's complete, the whole revelation of God, everything that we need for life and godliness is his word. That which is perfect, when that which is perfect is come, those things that are in part, those partial revelation things, are going to be done away with. I think it's pretty clear in this passage here. We have the perfect thing. You have the word of God. We've had the word of God for almost 2,000 years complete now. So God doesn't need to give us any more of the partial revelation of things. We have everything we need from God as far as what he wants to reveal to us. So he doesn't have to give us more prophecy. He doesn't have to give us more tongues. He doesn't have to give us more knowledge. How do I know what God wants me to do? I can go to the perfect thing, the thing that's complete. 
It's right there. Make sense? One other proof, and this one's a little bit harder to see, but this is one that I like. Um, verse 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. One version of the Bible says, now these three remain. Let me ask you this. And, and one of the arguments people will say is um, that, the thing, that the thing that's perfect that comes is Jesus Christ. He, he's, Jesus Christ is the perfect one. So when Jesus comes, that's when the prophecy and the stuff will be done away with. Well, when is Jesus Christ coming? At the end times, right? Okay. So, you go to this verse and it talks about that faith, hope, and love are going to remain. Well, when Jesus Christ comes, let me ask you, do these three remain? I'm going to argue that these three don't remain. Because what happens to faith when Jesus Christ comes? The Bible tells us faith becomes sight. You don't have to have faith anymore when you actually get to see Jesus Christ. I don't have to have faith when I can see him face to face. So, we don't need faith anymore. Faith's gone. What happens to hope? Hope is the expectation of things not seen. Well, I see now. I don't need to have hope. Right? So hope's gone. Now love does remain. Love's going to remain forever. So of the three, only one of them actually remains. So if the, the thing that's perfect, that abides, is Jesus Christ, then this verse doesn't make any sense because those three don't remain. So the thing that abides, it, or the thing that remains, the, the thing which is perfect that remains in verse 10 can't be talking about Jesus. It has to be talking about something else, which makes me think that, again, that's the Bible. So that's, that's kind of my little extra on there. You might not agree with me on that. That's my own thing. But... I think verse 13 helps support that also and is a good counter argument to verse 10 being about Jesus. So that's my thought. So A, we believe that sign gifts have ceased. Let her be here. We believe that God has completed the revelation of his word and that it is complete. That sounds redundant. And you're thinking, they're not a very good writer. Well, think about this a second. That... We believe that God has completed his revelation. That's important, that God has completed it. So he, he did complete it. And that it is complete. That Not only did he complete it, that, that we have it complete. So that he did complete it, and we still have it in completed form. And so it's kind of telling us that he completed it, and it still remains, that we have it in completed form. Because there is an argument that, well, it's completed in its original form, but since we don't have the original copies, we're in trouble. No, we're not in trouble. We have it complete. We have the Word of God. And we can study it, and we can know, and we can know what God says. And so we believe that, and we teach that. And if you want to go into translations and stuff like that, we can talk about that later. I'm not going to go into that today. But that's what, that's what we teach, and that's what we believe. Letter C, that comes us... Oh, did I go backwards? I did go backwards. Sorry. Up is not forward. Up is backwards. Down is forward. Uh, letter C. We are thus not charismatic. Doesn't mean we're not emotional necessarily. We can get emotional about the things of God. We can be excited about the things of God. We can cry once in a while. That's okay. But we're not charismatic. We're not, 
We're not going to be slain in the spirit and out of control. Okay? We're not, thus not charismatic. We study, we believe, we follow the word of God. We're going to trust what the word of God says, and we're going to believe that, and we're going to follow what it says. So we're cessationists. Again, I think in our circles, that's pretty standard. I don't think there's too many fundamental Baptist churches that would be charismatic fundamental Baptist churches. That doesn't go together. So that's the easy one. That's in scripture. That's, and I think I had a question before. Can God miraculously heal people? Well, yes. I totally believe in that. There's, there's been too many times in my life where people have been diagnosed with terminal illnesses and people have prayed and God has allowed them to live many, many years after that. And there's no explanation other than God healed them. But it's not because I went and laid hands on them and said, Jesus, heal you, and they, they were healed. But, but it's, it's, it's by God's grace and God's decision, and it's us. We can pray for that, and God can say yes or no, and it's up to God. But it's not, it's not some power that goes out from us and heals them like, like Peter did in, in uh, Acts 4, for instance. So that there, there's a difference between us having a gift that we can just go around touching people and healing them, and God deciding to heal them because of God's grace and mercy and him choosing to do that. So, yes, God can miraculously heal people, but there's no gift on our part that we can just go around choosing people and just healing them. There's, that's the difference we're talking about. Ted, there was your hand up. It's not because of that. It's because of God's doing and answering your prayer. And, um, again, it's not because of a gift of healing. It's because of the power of prayer working. And there, there's, there's a distinct difference in that. And, again, that's, that's scriptural. You can pray for people's health. You can pray for God to heal them. And that's a choice that God makes. It's not a power, a gift on your part to do that. So that's a good, good point to bring up. Okay, number five. This one, hopefully, being a Baptist church won't be a problem. We're... Baptistic. If this is a problem, we should change our church name, okay? So what does it mean to be Baptistic? We identify with Baptist because of the biblical truths that they embrace. If uh, Baptists turn their backs to the truth and become something else, we probably will cease to be Baptist. I don't think they're going to do that, but um, we'll talk about that in just a second anyway. Um, letter B here, a church is not Baptist because of its name, but because of its beliefs and practices. Now, the reason we bring this up is there's a lot of churches that call themselves Baptists that we would say are not what we would think of as Baptists. 
There's a group called American Baptists, which we would say are not what we would call Baptists, even though they're Baptists. There's a lot of varieties of Baptists. It would be um, like saying we're, we're ice cream people because we believe that chocolate ice cream is the truth. And somebody goes, here's ice cream, and they hand you a vanilla ice cream, and we go, that's not chocolate ice cream. It's, there's a difference in different types of ice cream. There's different types of Baptists. We're saying that there's a biblical type of Baptist, and that's the type of Baptist we are. And, well, what makes Baptist a biblical type of Baptist? Well, let's talk about what makes a Baptist a biblical type of Baptist, because there's beliefs and practices that we believe make Baptist a biblical type of Baptist. And that's letter C here. We believe Baptists hold to the following distinctives. And if you've been in this church for a while or maybe some other Baptist church, you're probably familiar with these. Number one here is, uh, I went too far, biblical authority. If you don't agree with this one, you're in the wrong church. We believe in biblical authority, that the Bible is the guide and rule for what we do as a church. This is what we're going to hang our hat on. This is what we're going to do. If the Bible tells us we're going to do something, that's what we're going to do. If the Bible tells us we're not going to do something, that's what we're not going to do. We're going to follow what the Bible teaches. I'm going to give you one verse. There's many verses we could go to here. First uh, Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And look at that emphasis there. It's not the word of men. It's not something men made up. It is the word of God, uh, which also effectively works in you who believe. That's how we treat the Bible. It's the word of God. It comes from God. Is what he wants to tell us. Is what he wants us to know. It's what he wants us to do. And so we're going to treat the Bible that way. That's our authority, biblical authority. I'm not going to spend more time on that because I think you got that. Autonomy of the local church. What does this mean? Um, without spending two hours going to church government, um, what this basically means is that autonomy means that it's self-rule. That means that as a local church, we make our own decisions as to what we're going to do, who we're going to have as a pastor, what we're going to teach, what songs we're going to sing, what missionaries we're going to support, what color our carpet is going to be, who our piano player is going to be, um, different, you know, just everyday decisions. That's what we do. Now, does that mean that we don't work with other churches? No, we work with other churches. We're working with Ankeny Baptist Church right now, working with Baptist church planners right now. doesn't mean we can't do that. Um, we're, as we support missionaries, um, one of the missionaries that I would like to support and I will probably kind of push the guys for is Stephen Mwindi. He's with Baptist Mid-Mission, so we work with a mission agency because... And, Maybe we look at some other missionaries at different mission agencies. So we'd work with mission agencies to support missionaries because we probably can't do that on our own to support a missionary. So you might work with other people, but as far as our rule and practice, we would um, we would we would make our decisions on our own as our own church. And even working with Ankeny or working with Baptist church planners, they're, they're in an advisory role. It's our final decision on what we do. That's autonomy of local church. How about on Revelation 2 through 3 here? Uh, you look at uh, how Jesus addresses the church. He doesn't uh, write to the Pope. He doesn't write to Peter and say, hey, Peter, get your churches under control. 
Uh, he writes to each individual church because each individual church is responsible for themselves. So I use that as an example there. Um, and you can look up those verses. We've run through them with uh, uh, Pastor Marty uh, several months back, so you're familiar with the passages. Uh, next letter, number three, P, the priesthood of the believer. What is the priesthood of the believer? The easiest way to look at this is uh, we've been going through Samuel, and we talked about different things, the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and remember, at different times, the Israelites would come to Samuel and say, hey, you need to pray for us because we've sinned against God. And, you know, I've stopped the class and said, hey, this is kind of weird, right? Why don't they just pray to God and ask for forgiveness? Well, there's a difference there. In the Old Testament, the intermediary between God and men was the priest. But as New Testament saints, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have direct access to God. We are our own priests to God. We can go directly to God. So when we sin, as Gabriel pointed out this morning, we have 1 John 1, 9. We can confess our sins directly to God. We can take care of that ourselves. We can pray to God. We don't have to go to Pastor Jim and enter his office and go to confession with Pastor Jim because we're priests. Yeah, Pastor Jim doesn't want that burden. Some of us would be in there a lot. Okay, anyway, First um, Peter 2.9. Peter makes that pretty clear. Oops, I went the wrong way again. Going really the wrong way here. Okay. Move. There we go. But you are a chosen generation. Look, a royal priesthood. Sign us as believers. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter gets it. We are a holy priesthood. We are his people to proclaim his praises. That's who we are. So we have priesthood. We can access God directly. Um, and this is in response to many different Christian-type churches, like especially Roman Catholics, where you don't have access to God. You can't understand the Bible. You can't talk to God directly. You have to go to the priest. No, we have direct access to God. We can do that. Priest of the believer. Next one. This fits this morning. Two ordinances, believer's baptism and the Lord's Supper. I didn't put verses on here because this is more of an argument from what's not in Scripture than what is. I mean, these are in Scripture, but that, there's nothing else. The two things the church practices as regular ordinances are believer's baptism and the Lord's table, which we did this morning. Now, let me ask you a question, interaction again. What do these things do to save you? Nothing. Good answer, Nathan. You get a candy bar, too, if I had them. Um, they don't do anything to save you. The Lord's Tale will start there because we, Pastor Jim talked about it. Do these things in what? Remembrance. This is a, it's a memorial time, a remembrance time. These are things to remind us what Christ has done. And Pastor Kevin used to say this, the baptism gets you what? Wet. Yeah, it's a, it's a symbol. It's a symbol. It uh, identifies us with Jesus Christ as death, burial, and resurrection, Right? It proclaims that we are part of what Christ has done. But as far as giving us some kind of spiritual grace or something like that, it doesn't do anything. It just gets us wet. So, but we practice that as obedience to what God has told us to do and to proclaim, Lord's table proclaims that we identify with Christ's death and that we're remembering it. And baptism shows that we identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and identifies us with the church. So two ordinances, believer's baptism, Lord's Supper. Um, this one's a tough one. 
Individual soul liberty. This is the idea that um, I can't tell you how you are to worship God. I can't tell you um, that you have to do things a certain way necessarily outside of what the Word of God tells you. I can tell you from the Word of God that the Word of God says you need to do these things and not do these things. But as far as like, um, and it's, it's a difficult one to get across, but let's, let's say I'd say, um, I guess the best example is I, I remember back when we were in Oshkosh, we had a college student come down from one of the universities in Wisconsin and uh, he was talking with the pastor and I think Sue and I were sitting in on it and he was talking about that. He, he liked our church um, but he believed that um, a proper church sang out of a particular hymnal and only songs out of a particular hymnal. And he had one hymnal that, you know, if you had praise songs that were in that hymnal, we, you could, those songs were okay, but any song that wasn't in that hymnal was wrong. And it's kind of an idea, well, that's kind of extra biblical, biblical. And that kind of fits outside this, where you're trying to tell somebody you're not holy if you're not using a certain hymnal. That's kind of this idea of individual soul liberty. You're, you're like trying to put all these extra restrictions on You have to worship a certain way. You have to do things a certain way. Um, you know, maybe the idea of the worship service has to be four songs, sermon, song. That's how it always has to be. You can't change that up. We've changed that up recently. That's why I kind of bring that up. That's okay to change it up. It may not be the way you prefer it, but that's okay to change it up. We can do that. There's no right or wrong to that. Yep. Because he doesn't have a tie. Yep. Right. Right. And that that's kind of the, the area where where it fits into is that, um, and, and I'm probably not coming up even with the best examples for it, but. Outside of the Word of God. Now, there's things in the Word of God where we would say there's rights and wrongs that the Word of God says, and I can come up to you and say, look, the Word of God says this. You need to do this. And you, you can try to say to me, oh, I have individual soul liberty. I say, nope. God's Word clearly says this. You don't have soul liberty in that area. You need to obey God. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's, there's certain things that we can't say or not say. We can't, you're not just, it's not a free card to go do whatever you want. But it's in areas where, you see what I'm saying? So this, this is a very hard one sometimes to try to, try to work your way around. But uh, we don't believe that, like, uh, Ankeny, I'm sure, does their worship services much different than we do. What's that? <laughs> the right way. And see, this would be the argument that 
it's not a right way. It's different, but okay, because they have the liberty to do that. So <laughs> anyway, so that that's kind of the area where it is. Is that that each church is different, and we've had college students come to our church and then go to a different church, and that's okay because they found something that they like a little better. And there's you can go to a different church because you like something a little better. And we have college students stay because they like our church, and that's okay because you can like things about the church as long as the church is worshiping in spirit and truth. So, um, so hey, let's move on. Next one, move. There we go. Saved, baptized church membership. Um, again, membership's a very hard one because membership is not actually spelled out in the scripture. It's kind of implied in a lot of places. I think the best, best verse where it kind of shows as Acts 2.41 and Acts 2.41, remember, Peter's preaching on Pentecost. Uh, people ask, what should we do to be saved? And Peter says, uh, uh, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And you, you know, and he goes on with this whole thing. In verse 41, it says, And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And you can make the argument that you know, they, they were added because they believed. And I think the one argument that I would make here is that he put the word baptized in the middle of the verse here, Luke did, that they received his word. He added they would be baptized, and then they were added. So it seems to me that the, the baptized part in there is very important to this passage. Why did he have baptized in there, and then they were added? And I'm just thinking that he must be making a point here that after they were baptized, they were added to that local body. That would be the argument I would make here in this passage. Otherwise, he would say they believed and they were added to the, the church spiritually. So uh, that would be the argument I would make in this passage, that they were saved, they were baptized, and they were added to that local body, that local group. And then it talks about how they fellowship together and were under the apostles' doctrine, which seems to be a local body response, that it's not the spiritual body of Christ, the full body of Christ, but this local body here. So... Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard on Pentecost because there's one local church in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. In Acts 2, the local church and the universal church are one and the same at this point, which makes it very difficult to parse it out. Yeah, But I, I think here, just by adding that, that, that term, word baptized, I think um, indicates that there's a, he's talking a local church aspect, that they were added into the group there. Um, that, would be, that would be how I would understand it here. Um, again, I, I wouldn't die on that argument, but I think, I think that's what it seems to be reading, in my opinion. Um, let's move on. Again, I think church membership is a good thing. I think there's accountability. Once, once you become a member of something, there's a, a mutual accountability between you and the church and the church and you, that you're committed to the church and the church is committed to you. Um, it makes church discipline uh, make a lot more sense. 
how do you how do you discipline somebody out of a church situation when they're in sin if they're not part of the church? That doesn't make a lot of sense if they're just kind of hanging out with the church and not really part of it. Um, there's a lot of different things in the Bible that doesn't make sense if there's not some kind of membership. So, um, again, we can talk about that later if you disagree with me or you want more information. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, so, moving on. Next one, two offices. Two offices, yep, that's what I said that, right? Uh, the pastor, elder, overseer, which I believe is one office. Uh, one the same. Again, if you want to argue with me about that, I'll, I'll go to passages and show you that I think they're the same thing. Pastor, elder, overseer, and then deacon. And we believe those are the only two offices. Our church actually practices that. We don't have Sunday school superintendents. We don't have church secretaries. We don't have financial secretaries. We roll those into the deacons because we believe that there's two offices, pastor and deacon. So the deacons take on those responsibilities. We're trying to be very biblical with that. Um, so that's what we do. Um, and again, I don't have a lot of verses on here because it's, it, a lot of the argument comes from the absence of anything else that's shown in the Bible. It just talks about pastors and deacons in the Bible. And the last one, and you probably have seen this differently from other things. We've changed this around a little bit at our church because I think this is more biblical. A separation of state from church. Um, and the reason we wrote it this way is we don't think that the church should not have an influence on state. We think that we should be influencing the local government. We should be praying for our government leaders. We should be, you know, we should be as active as we can in voting. We should be as active as we can. You know, if, if people from the church want to run for public office, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there should be anything wrong with us influencing our government. And so, yes, the church should influence the government. So, can the church influence the state? Yes. Uh, and what we, but the state should not dictate to the church what the church is to be doing. The church is to be accountable to God. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and we're, we're, we're accountable to him for what we do. Um, and there's a number of verses that I, I was thinking about putting in here. Um, I didn't, but, uh, you know, you look at, like, uh, when Peter and John went before the Sanhedrin, they told them to stop speaking on behalf of Christ, to stop. And they, their answer was, uh, should we uh, seek to please men or should we please God? And that's kind of the attitude we need to have. You know, if the, if the government starts saying, you can't preach on homosexuality anymore. You can't preach on... Uh, creation anymore. You can't preach on whatever anymore. We, we need to start saying, well, uh, you know, we're going to preach what the Bible says because we think it's more important to please God rather than please men. And if we come to the passage and it talks about homosexuality or it talks about one man and one woman or you know, things like that, we're going to preach what the Bible says. And, you know, we, we need to, we, there may be consequences to that because that's what happens when you stand for the truth. But we, we see, uh, biblically, there should be a separation of state from the church. The, church. the state doesn't have the right to influence what the church believes, what the church teaches, what the church does. We're responsible before God for what the church does. We have a higher authority. So, so those are the Baptist distinctives. And as you can see, make it easy to remember, it spells Baptist. If you haven't seen that before, I'm sure most of you have seen that. So, um, 
Okay, I'm going to try to keep moving because it's uh, 11.40 and i got two more points to cover. The next one's kind of long. So let's move on. Family-focused. Uh, we at Northridge want to be a family-focused church. Letter A here. We believe God designed marriage as the basic unit of society. That God designed the family to be the incubator and training ground for children. Now we're going to talk about why we believe this, but we believe that uh, the basic unit for society is the family. Um, given that, we let her be here. I think I left the blank up there, so if you're still writing, you still have the blank. Uh, the church is to assist, but not replace the parent. So our, our job as a church, we're not here to replace you as parents, those of you who still have kids around. We as a church are not here to take over your job as parenting. We're here to offer assistance. We're here to help you. We're here to uh, do what we can to help you be a more successful parent in God's eyes. But we're not here to replace you. So um, we're here to just assist. So in order to do that, let us see. We design our programs around helping parents fulfill their responsibilities. We believe that God has given parents responsibilities to fulfill. And as a church, we want to design what we do around assisting parents to fulfill those responsibilities. So, so as we design, for instance, Sunday school, and I'm going to talk about a little bit about that in a little bit, we're going to look at how we design Sunday school and say, how can we do Sunday school in a way that helps the parents be better parents, be better spiritual leaders in their home, help them to instruct their kids better, to be the spiritual leaders God wants them to be. So letter D here. Oops, one, two, don't look at E. Our goal is to minister to families as families within the family structure as well as to individuals. So we're not trying to ignore the individuals. We know there's people here that aren't necessarily here as family units. Matt, Josiah, well, you guys are brothers, but you're not really living as family, so we'll, we'll treat you as individuals. So we know that we're ministering to individuals also, but we're also here to minister to families as family units and to meet the needs of families as family units. Um, I, uh, I've told a few of you, um, we had a shower issue this weekend. Um, our shower pan, which was, um, I think, remodeled shortly before we bought the house, the people who did it put in a really cheap plastic shower pan, and it has had problems with cracking and leaking and stuff. And um, Sue and I finally got sick of it, and we went out and bought a new shower pan. And this weekend we decided that we were going to do that and tear out our shower and so right now our shower is in a state of deconstruction. Is that a good term for it, Nathan? Nathan's been wonderful, by the way. Um, it's amazing how a couple of months of working as a plumber has really gained him a lot of knowledge. I am so impressed. By the way, I'm breaking on you. You're awesome. Um, anyway, so but it's, it's, it's kind of torn apart, so I've uh, had to go. I went over to Thomas's house last night to shower because um, we had another shower, which apparently works well, but I didn't realize that. And I just wanted to get a nice stand-up shower. Thomas has a nice shower, by the way. Um, just uh, 
I'm just, I'm just impressed. I'm a little jealous, by the way. Um, but uh, so I went over there, and I noticed that Thomas works a lot differently than I work. I have, I work on a scale of, I'm not just worried about what happens with myself. I have uh, ten other people in my house that I'm worried about what's going on with those moving parts. Um, I'm worried about who's eating food and what they're eating and um, who's going where and how they're getting there and where is this person? Why aren't they at home right now? Um, where did they go? Uh, why is there a mess all over my counter? Why is there stuff all over the floor? What am I tripping over? Thomas was at home. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he seemed very relaxed and not really worried about a whole lot of stuff. And I kind of laughed, and he was like, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow at church. Just have fun. And just really wasn't really concerned about a whole lot. He works a lot different than I do. Families have different needs than individuals. And a lot of times, families, you know, I, I'm not always worried about my own individual needs because I have other needs going on that are above and beyond my concerns. So we minister to families as families because there are different needs there, and we want to meet those needs. Hope that makes sense. Uh, our ministry contains elements geared towards the entire congregation together, including family units, um, as well as age-segregated elements designed to minister to individuals. Um, if you've been here, you know that we do an age-segregated Sunday school, which I told you I'd talk about in a little bit. Um, and I'm going to talk about it after the next point. Um, we also have uh, Wednesday night, we, we split off the young kids to FWAP, which is an age-segregated thing. And actually ministers them a little bit differently than what the adults are doing. So that's something totally different. Um, and so we do have some of that going on. Letter F. Letter F. Thank you. We encourage parents to be the primary spiritual trainers of their own children. This is something we think is very biblical, that the, the parents are to be the ones training their children. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's the parent's job. Now, this is where I want to talk about Sunday school. The reason why we do Sunday school the way we do, and for those of you who may not know much about our Sunday school, um, what we do is, in the adult Sunday school, I'm the primary adult Sunday school teacher right now, I bring a lesson every week. Right now, we're going to be starting in 2 Samuel, and we're going to study through 2 Samuel. And so, I will bring a lesson in 2 Samuel. I will teach it. Say I teach 2 Samuel chapter 1 in, in Sunday school one week. We record the lesson, I send out the notes, I send out a recording of the lesson. Then the Sunday school teachers in the children's classes, they get those lessons during the week, they listen to it, they study it out, and the next week they teach that lesson to their Sunday school classes at the level of whatever Sunday school class they're teaching, so that they're teaching the same thing that I just taught in the adult Sunday school class. Now this does a couple things. Number one, the parents get a week, they learn this lesson, they get to teach it, and they get to review it. Then the next week, their children learn it. So now what they can do is they can come back that following week and say, what did you learn in Sunday school? And the teacher say, can say, I learned about 2 Samuel 1, where uh, you know David hears about Saul's death, and this guy comes, and he talks about how he's bragging about how he killed Saul and everything, and David says, you shouldn't have killed the Lord's anointed. And he takes vengeance on this guy because he killed Saul. Or at least David thinks he did. And that guy shouldn't have lied about that because he got himself in trouble. 
And they're going to say, you know, that, that's a good point. He was, he was bragging and trying to build himself up and impress David, but he lied, and he shouldn't have lied. And see, the dad can now take the lesson that he learned in the Sunday school class. I don't know if that's the lesson I'm going to teach, but that's what I remember from 2 Samuel 1. Um, the dad can take what he learned a week previous, and he can spend time with his children and review the lesson and teach and be a spiritual leader in the class because he learned the lesson and now his kids learned it and they can talk about it together. And that's something that Pastor Kevin put in place years ago and it's just it, we just like that format for the Sunday School because it helps the parents just be able to do that without you know, having to sit there with a commentary and a lexicon and dig through the Bible and spend... 10 hours a week trying to study and try to figure out what can I teach my kids. Here's something that's ready for them just to do and talk about and spend time with their kids, being spiritual leaders with their kids. So that's why we do that. So we encourage parents to be the primary spiritual trainers of their own kids, and we try to help them to do that by purposely formatting what we're doing to help that. Okay, letter E, or G. Can't even read my own notes, excuse me. Uh, we embrace and emphasize foundational family truths set forth by God from creation. So again, we, uh, the letter A was that we believe God designed marriage as a basic unit of society. God designed this unit, the family, right away in Genesis 1 as a foundation. This was the first unit God designed. And, and we think that it's that important that from the beginning of the creation that this unit is there, and we, we want to emphasize that. And so we, we see some truths as God designed from creation, and we, we're going to emphasize that in our church. So uh, look at a few of these. Letter one, or number one here. Marriage, as defined by God, consists of one man and one woman for life. And this is going to be harder and harder to defend because society has gone against this quite a bit now. Um, but we believe that this is true, this is right, this is good, this is how God designed it. God emphasizes this. Matthew 19, this is Jesus talking. He answered and said to them, he's speaking to the Pharisees here, and they're, they're, they're asking a question about divorce, but this works for this. He says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two. That didn't change. Change. Do it. There we go. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. If, if we're going to argue for uh, two genders, for marriage being one man and one woman, if we're going to argue for the sanctity of marriage, if we're going to argue that you know, God hates divorce, we can't separate that from creation. We can't separate that from Genesis. If we're going to separate that from Genesis, we have no basis to stand on. Jesus' argument goes back to the beginning. That's where he makes his argument from. We have no footing if we take that away from Genesis. So a marriage as defined by God consists of one man and one woman for life. And we're going to emphasize that in this church. Um, number two, men and women are equal in value but distinct in roles. Um, I, I have no problem with anybody when we start with the first part of that, men and women are equal in value. Yay, everybody agrees with that. Um, you start talking about distinct in roles, and uh, that's when you start getting people up in arms about that. You can't say men and women are different. 
Oh, men and women are different. Have you ever lived with a woman? I'm going to say, have you ever lived with a man? Yeah. Uh, I, I know women are different. I, I have six women in my house. They're different. And, and most of the time it's good, though. Most of the time it's good. I, I don't understand them most of the time, but it's still good. Um, men and women are d- equal in value and distinct in roles. Um, I'm going to go on to number three here because that's where I'm going to make my argument. Number three, the roles of men and women are distinct in the home, the church, and the world. Um, if you go to First Timothy 2, chapter 8, we're not going to go there this morning, but that's where I'd make my argument from. Uh, this is mainly deals with the church. This is that passage that everybody likes to avoid, especially preachers, about women should remain silent in the church. And the pastor is just like, okay, I'm going to skip over that passage because I want to deal with that. Um, but Paul's talking about roles in the church. Uh, and it goes on to say that, that women should not have authority over men. Why is that? Are women less valuable? No, women are not less valuable than men. It's a, it's a matter of roles. It's a matter of what they're to be doing and not to be doing. Um, and, and mainly this passage speaks about roles in the church, but later on it talks about that, uh, that women are to be saved in childbearing. It's, it seems like there's, it's, it's talking about a role in society and a role in the home there. What, what, what is a woman's role in the home? And it seems God has a plan for that too. And if you look at that passage and you study it out, uh, there are different roles for men and women that God designed, and, and we're going to hold to and we're going to teach that. And that goes a lot against what, what, what society is teaching nowadays. It goes a lot against what a lot of churches are teaching nowadays, that men and women are, are basically not different. I don't think that's the way God designed men and women. Uh, God designed men and women to support and complement each other, with men leading in the home, in the church, in society, and the women helping. And that's how, as I read the Bible, you see that over and over in Scripture. And so that's what we want to teach in the church. And we know that not all situations are the same, and um, I'm not saying necessarily that women should never work outside the home or that, you know, everybody has to homeschool and stuff like that. Um, you know, the, we, situations are different for different people, but uh, we want to teach what the Bible teaches about these things. So, um, and we're going to teach the roles of men and women are distinct in the home, the church, and the world. Number four here. Number four. Thank you. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Um, some of you who haven't known me well could probably say, well, you obviously believe that. Um, just by looking at... Oh, I didn't put the verse in. So I missed the verse, but it's on your notes. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Read along with me. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord... The fruit of the womb is a reward. Again, society doesn't seem to believe this anymore. But if God's word is true, then this is true. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. Now, um, again, this image here is of a man going to war and having a bow and arrow. And... The idea is you want to have more arrows and less arrows. Nowadays, it's like going into a battle and uh, the army hands you a machine gun, and here's your clip, and you got two bullets in there. Good luck. Is that what you want? Probably not, right? Get your two shots off, and let's see how long you last. And again, if God's word is true, 
then we need to believe this. We need to change our thought about what children are. Is it going to slow you down on some things? Well, okay, you may not be able to minister the same way you thought you could minister in some ways. But if God's blessing is children and that's his reward to you, we need to rethink that a little bit. Now, I do have a story. I was in seminary, and I had a friend, and he didn't have any kids. And I was going to give him a little bit of a hard time because I'm a smart aleck, and I thought it was pretty cool. And so I went up to him, and I said something smart about not having kids. I don't remember exactly what the words were, but I was going to give him a hard time about it because I was going to be smart, and I was going to make a point that, yeah, you should be having kids. And he gave me the, well, it wasn't from lack of trying kind of a response. And I felt pretty low after that because, you know, sometimes God closes the womb too. Um, it's not always up to us. And so just somebody not having kids doesn't necessarily mean that they don't agree with this. And so it's, it's not necessarily that, you know, having a lot of kids mean that, that you're super spiritual. And, and I mean, having a lot of kids means you're super spiritual. Not having kids means that you're uh, some kind of pagan or something like that. It, it, we need to be careful of that. Um, and a pastor friend, I, I taught on the, um, I, can't remember, I think it was on the eminence of God. And I, I talked about how um, God was eminent in, the, the pro, in procreation and uh, giving children to people. And that I, that I kind of made the point that we need to be allowing God to do that because if, if God's the one who gives children to people, then we ought to be accepting that. And the pastor came up to me afterwards and said, you know, we, we have four kids, but that's all that God gave us. And I said, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying you need to have 20 kids. I'm just saying you need to be open to God having that. And at, at that time, I was smart enough to know that it, it's not the number of kids. It's just being open to God's blessing. Um, but we, we do believe children are a blessing from the Lord. Um, we do encourage children being on the service, the morning service. We think that's important that... Uh, they can get as much out of the morning service as anybody else, and uh, it's important for them to be there. So children are a blessing from the Lord. i going to move on. I talk too much. Uh, parents are responsible to raise children, to raise their children. Ephesians 6.4, probably a well-known verse. And you fathers, do not provoke your children in wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Uh, Paul's not saying the church should do it. He's not saying pastors. He's saying fathers. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So we relieve that, and then, sorry. Children are responsible to respect, honor, and obey their parents. Going back three verses, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. So we believe that families are important. We are a family-focused church. Finally, and this one should go a little faster, uh, we believe that we are a church that's to be Christ-ruled and pastor-led. Letter A, we are to be led by Christ by means of his word. Again, this one maybe sounds okay. It, it might be a little controversial to some because a lot of churches will come out and say we're congregational ruled. Well, there's no church that's congregation ruled. I will say that offhand because as a church, you don't vote on what the pastor is going to preach on every week. You don't vote on what hymns you're going to sing. You don't vote on what temperature you're going to set the congregation heat to. So you're not really congregational-led. You have leaders that choose these things. You vote for leaders to make decisions for you. So you're not really congregationally-led. You're congregationally-led in some things. I would say we're trying to be pastor-led with congregational input is probably a more accurate 
description of what we want to be. And that's probably true of most churches or your board led with congregational input or something like that. There's no such thing as a congregational ruled church, technically. Um, but here, Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things he may have the preeminence. This is talking about Christ, that he's the head of the body of the church. He's the one who leads the church. We're looking to follow his leadership. He's the one who had the preeminence. That word in Greek is the, uh, the protas, the first place. He's the one who is the focus of the church, and we're looking to please him. Letter B. Uh, God chooses leaders to lead and the flock to follow God. So that's intentional. It's not the leaders to lead, but the flocks to follow God. So the leaders are leading the flock to follow God. Not necessarily follow the leader here. Um, But the leaders are to lead, and that's a little redundant, but the leaders are there to lead. That's why you have leaders. And too often you get a leader and then nobody wants to follow the leader. And, you know, it's frustrating for the leader and it doesn't make any sense. Why do you have a leader if you're not going to have him lead? Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. You're supposed to obey those who rule over you. You're supposed to be submissive to those who lead. And they're supposed to be watching out for your souls. And they have to give an account. Let them do so with joy. How are they going to do so with joy? Well, if you're being submissive and, and, and following, it's going to be more joyful for them, right? And not with grief, or that would be unprofitable for you. So help them out along the way. Letter C. Leaders are given to lead, feed, and protect. The leaders are not to lead for their own glory. They're not to lead so that they can have this great following and fame and fortune. They're, lead, they're leaders to lead, feed, and protect. Acts 20.28 20, says... Therefore, take heed to yourself. And this is Paul addressing the, the, the Ephesian elders. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's made them overseers, the people to watch out over the flock. Uh, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The next verses go on to talk about how wolves, how false teachers are coming to the church and try to deceive and take advantage of the church. And they're to watch out and protect and guard the church. And so they're there to serve the church. They're to be serving the church and protecting them and, and helping them out. And so the leaders are to lead, feed, and protect. Letter D. Leaders are to be gentle, patient, are to be leading by teaching and by example. Serving the flock with the goal of equipping believers for the work of the ministry. So they're to be leading by example. It's not... Uh, leaders aren't to be demanding that we follow them uh, or to do what they say and then to just be doing their own thing. They're supposed to be, they're supposed to be an example to us. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you whose faith follow. So they're supposed to be leading by example of their faith, considering the outcome of their conduct. Leaders are supposed to be humble servants. That they're, they're doing the work and they're saying, follow me as I follow Christ, just like Paul was saying. And finally, we believe this, uh, letter E, having more than one pastor is biblically ideal, normal, safe, beneficial, and stable. Right now we have one pastor, Pastor Jim. 
Um, we'd like to have a lead pastor that would give us two. Um, if something were to happen to Pastor Jim right now, we'd be without a pastor. Now, I'm not going to say die, but let's say Pastor Jim goes to the hospital or something like that. We'd, we'd be without a pastor, and that would be hard. There'd be, we'd lose all consistency of whatever's going on here. And so another pastor would keep consistency going, keep things going. Three pastors would be great. So the idea of having more than one pastor is, is a wise idea. It's ideal. It's normal. It's safe. It's safe for the church. It helps the church be consistent and keep going in the same direction. Changing pastors often means changing direction, changing thoughts, changing philosophies. Uh, so having a consistency of pastors is a good thing. Um, that's the ideal. Um, and I have one more slide, which isn't on here, but just kind of a summary. What are we? We're fundamental. Evangelical, dis- dispensational, cessationist, baptistic, family-focused, Christ-ruled, pastor-led. So I'm going to open up to you again. Any thoughts, questions, additions, subtractions, concerns? Um, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit over from where I wanted to be. Nathan. It'd be what? Two bolts in a magazine. Okay. You guys are more knowledgeable than I am at that. What, Ted? Uh, I'll have to run all my uh, illustrations by you two guys next time. Okay. Smarter people than me here. Right. Right. And I think a couple things that I want to add on to that because you made me think of that. And they kind of, some of it goes with what you said and some of it doesn't. Um, again, some of these things on here are probably more ideal than what we actually are at this point, like where we'd like to be more than maybe where we're at. Um, so take that in mind as we do this, that this is where we'd like to be headed. Um, as you talk about bringing in somebody, um, and I, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but as we're looking for a pastor in the future, we'd like to find somebody that would read this and say, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at too. And that, that's what this document will help out with, is that if we, we find someone that's, let's say, um, no, let's take the last, last point here, and my brain's already fried, um, somebody who's not uh, 
doesn't believe in the kind of the pastor led is more like totally on the congregational let's have everything done by committees or whatever and we would say well that's not really what we're looking for that would kind of weed them out so that's that's kind of what the document is helpful for because that kind of directs us in that direction so that would be that would be good as far as what you were saying with bringing somebody in it, it may help us avoid some of those bumps in the road as we bring in a new pastor uh, and avoid, it won't avoid everything. There's always, there's that honeymoon phase, and then there's usually kind of a bumpy phase after that, and then maybe things settle down afterwards. So, um, but hopefully we can minimize that by kind of knowing who we want to be and kind of finding somebody that kind of feels the same way and, and kind of fits in with what kind of church we want to be. So that's, that's kind of what this is for. Uh, hopefully help us out to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor, because um, uh, the only perfect one is Jesus Christ, and he's he's not coming as a pastor; he's coming as a king. And uh, and I don't think we can interview him for the job right now. He's coming on his own time and his own time frame. So, <laughs> although if he were available, I would certainly would interview him, but he. Anyway, I don't know. That's a probably bad joke. Anyway, sorry about that. I said my brain's fried. I need soup and pie. Don't stop the questions just because there's food coming. I mean, I know you all want to eat. Any other thoughts or questions? Yes. You can. Well, I, I think the goal is once we have it official, um, it will end up on the website, I think, is probably what will happen. Um, we obviously have paper copies we'll have out. Um, and then the Sunday schools are all recorded, so people can download the recordings and stuff too. So that there'll be at least three places they'll be available for people. Um, so we will have that available. Um, and then um, one of the things... Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to this point, but you know, I, I'm sure a pipe dream along the way is to have some kind of new members class <laughs> somewhere along the way. It might, it might get worked into that in some form. We could probably work work some of it in there. Probably. Probably not, not in quite the detail maybe this morning or this four weeks here, but, but, but it's, probably. Yeah, but that that is a good suggestion because it, I think it's it, it's something important and you know we we encourage like somebody coming from membership to read the Constitution, but it's like 
Um, you read the Constitution when you're uh, having trouble sleeping and you need to get a good night's sleep. That's kind of what the Constitution is usually used for. Because um, that's about how it reads usually. Yeah, and that needs work yet too. Yes. So, yes, and probably probably several weeks on that, if not more. Yeah. Okay. It seems that nobody else has any desire to speak, so I'll close in prayer, and then um, do we have any instructions on the food? I will do that. I'll do that after I pray because that will give us time to to do that. Um, I assume there's a board set up for that, right? Okay. Okay. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you, Lord, and thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we thank you for the message out of First John. Uh, remind us of the joyful fellowship we are to have with each other and with you. Uh, we're thankful for Jesus Christ who uh, does uh, make that propitiation for us, Lord, that we uh, can have the righteousness of God, and that our sins can be forgiven and washed away. Uh, Lord, help us as we uh, fellowship now to encourage and build up one another. Uh, Lord, uh, this is your work. This is your church. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would grow it both spiritually and in numbers. Lord, help us to be a light to those around us, and that we would proclaim Christ to those as we have opportunity, Lord. Uh, we just thank you again for this time now. May you be glorified and honored in it. In Jesus' name, amen.